A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, welcome to the short stuff. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck and Jerry's here. And this is short stuff, a great one because it has to do with ecology, environment, biology, drama, <laughs> matchbooks. That's right. Uh, I came across this because I was uh, on HowStuffWorks.com because I was putting something together that we're not doing now, but I hope to do soon on symbiosis. Oh, yeah. And this is not symbiosis. So it was mentioned as kind of uh, not the opposite of symbiosis, but no. something that's, you know, runs afoul of symbiosis. It's symbiosis's more confusing cousin. Right. More selfish cousin. Very difficult to pin down in some weird ways, but com- we're talking commensalism. Mm-hmm. And the, the base definition of commensalism is that um, it happens when an animal benefits another animal or organism just by doing its own thing. And it's not affected by it one way or the other. The other animal, like, benefits from it, but there's no, there's no like, tit for tat. There's no um, harm in it. There's, it's just kind of a thing. Yeah, it's a kind of cooperation. Uh, a couple of things that it's not that we should probably mention besides symbiosis mm-hmm. is uh, it doesn't mean you're a parasite. Parasitism mm-hmm. is when something is actually causing harm to another thing right? by sort of sponging off of them. Like the movie, Parasite. <laughs> That's right. Uh, or, a, you know, or a parasite that lives on your body and feeds on the host. And the host may not be aware of it, but it's damaging the host. Like the movie, Alien. Right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's also not uh, mutualism in which that that's a little more aligned with symbiosis in which both partners are benefiting from this relationship, like bees and flowers. They each get a little something. They're scratching each other's backs, and it's all good. Like the movie, Wall Street. That's right. Right. Oh, man. We should just make this the whole episode. Uh, commensalism, though, is, like you said, uh, and they're actually called commensals, is, which is the one that is benefiting. benefiting, not the one that is unawares and just sort of neither benefiting nor being harmed. And benefiting is kind of one way to put it. You could also say that uh, commensal also requires the other animal uh, to go about their daily business for that one to survive sometimes. Yeah. Let's give a let's give a great example here that is found in this How Stuff Works article about eastern screech owls and blind snakes, Chuck. Yeah, this was interesting, I thought. I thought so too. So eastern screech owls love to eat blind snakes. It's their favorite delicacy. It's like foie gras, sushi, and tikka masala to the average American. Love it, right? <laughs> okay. And so the eastern screech owl brings a bunch of blind snakes back to its nest to feed their chicks, which is usually bad for the blind snakes. But some blind snakes get away, and they actually 
burrow into the nest, deeper into the nest, out of the reach of the owls, and they live there. And while they live there, they actually feed on little bugs in the nest. That's right. Uh, Those little larvae, and those larvae would probably be parasites upon the Mm -hmm. owl. Right. So there's a lot of uh, benefit going on here. Right. But in particular, the blind snake is providing the benefit to the blind owl because studies have shown that, that um, <clears throat> I guess, hatchlings, eastern screech owl hatchlings that are raised in nests where there's blind snakes embedded in them typically grow bigger, faster, stronger, etc. And they have a lower mortality rate than, uh, than hatchlings that are raised in nests where there's not blind snakes. So it does seem like the benefit they're providing is getting rid of the parasite load in that nest. But as far as the blind snake's concerned, it's just eating. It's doing its normal thing. What's a blind snake? It's a snake that uh, is blind, as far as I know. I looked him up, uh, and it's a, it is a specific thing. It's not just like any snake that's blind, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, I had never really heard of them before. I had neither. What's an owl? I, don't, I have no idea. I told you about the owl cafe that you mean I went to in Tokyo, right? I don't think so. It was very neat. I would have remembered this. It was so neat. Are you in there with owls? Yes. Like, they're right there. You can hold them on your hand. You can pet them. And I realized that it's like, it's not their natural habitat. Sure. And like, they're kept and all yeah, that. Yeah. But it was very cool. Right. And they were very well taken care of as far as captive animals go. Um, but it was it was a really neat experience. Yeah. It's okay to think that's a neat experience. Are you sure? I'm so nervous right now. I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm going, uh, we're finally going to Disney World in a couple of weeks. And we're staying at Animal Kingdom. And... I really want to wake up with a giraffe standing outside my window. Yeah, going, wake up, Chuck. Does that make me a bad person? <laughs> yeah. For wanting to delight my, well, myself, frankly. Are you going to go on the Avatar ride? It's supposedly the greatest ride humans have ever created. We're not actually going to Animal Kingdom. We're just staying there. We have three park days, so we're doing... Uh, okay, and that's not one of them. No, we're doing Magic Kingdom, uh, Hollywood mm-hmm. Studios, and then yeah. uh, Universal. I'll tell you what. Your daughter is going to love Hollywood Studios' uh, Toy Story Land. It is oh, that. nuts how well they did that. Yeah, I don't I don't think we're prepared for the, the delight that is to follow. It's great, yeah. Yeah, and big shout-out to our buddy Brandon. Yes. Might as well, who's, who's helping us out. He works down there, and he's just very kind and generous, with, especially if you don't know how to navigate Disney with all the tips and stuff. Yeah, he's just a wonderful guy. That's good stuff. Who started out as a fan who reached out and quickly became a true friend. That's you know? right. All right, so, hey, we needed a little padding, so we'll come back right after this and talk a little bit more about commensalism. Thanks for the padding, Brandon. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. 
we're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just like the number of stars in the sky, there is so much stuff you should know. All right, Chuck, so this article basically practically admits that ecologists don't really know how to define commensalism, but they're like, but we still have it separated into three categories. That's right. Uh, the first of which is inquilinism. Mm-hmm. Sounds totally made up. Uh, that is when a species lives on or inside another. Uh, it can okay. be in that nest, like the, the blind snake living in the nest of the owl. Uh, right. Anytime it's within a, there's another example they give of the gopher tortoise. Yes. Uh, southeastern U.S., they have these really long tunnels, like, you know, sometimes 30 to 50 feet in length. And that, of course, becomes a home for lots of different things, uh, mainly insects. But some of them have, like, evolved over the years to need to live there. And some of them, including this one moth, can only feed on the keratin of the shells of these dead gophers. <laughs> yeah. That's all they that eat. Is n- that's niche right there. That's super niche. And so it's not just that moth. There's a bunch of others. There's a bunch of other kinds of animals too. But yeah, that moth is about as a big a commensal as you'll find in nature. Um, there's another type of commensalism called metabiosis, which sounds kind of similar, but it's where an organism unintentionally creates a habitat for another. This is really where we get to the point where I'm saying, like, commensalism, they, they don't know what they're talking about. Somebody figured out something that didn't hold out to be true, mm-hmm. and they ended up creating a whole subdiscipline of ecology out of it. Oh, is that where you that's are on what, this? That's, yes, because there is no example that we have gone over or will go over that you can't ascribe to something else. Symbiosis, parasitism. Oh, like, yeah, we There's, used to call it this. Yes, and now it's commensalism. It's a very confusing thing that we're doing right now. Yeah, but isn't that kind of a lot of science is the more you know, the more you can drill down and separate things out with their minor distinctions? Yes, if there are actual distinctions that separate them out. That's what I'm saying. I don't think there are. Like, like to, let me give you an example. So gopher tortoises, right? Mm-hmm. 
So there's commensals that live there that don't just feed on the, the gopher tortoise. I will give you that one, that moth that feeds exclusively on the keratin from gopher tortoises. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's probably a true commensalist relationship. Okay. But the kind of animals that live in gopher tortoise holes that eat parasites in the gopher tortoise hole, that's symbiosis, man. There's no way around it. They're, the gopher has provided a place for these animals to live. The animals are eating the parasites that would otherwise be sucking the life force out of the gopher tortoise. That's symbiosis. There's no other definition for it. And that's a, given a, a, as an example of commensalism. But do, I, didn't, did, I didn't see that they did eat parasites that would harm the gopher. Yeah, some of them do. It says that they likely lower parasite oh, okay. loads for tortoises. Right, I see that now. I even highlighted it. <laughs> yeah. That's that's mutualism. Well, should we talk about the last uh, category, or should we just throw this in the trash? <laughs> no, let's talk about the last one, because this is fun to kick it around. All right. <laughs> Come here, you. Phoresy, mm-hmm. uh, uh, P-H-O-R-E-S-Y. That's when an animal attaches to another physically uh, to catch a ride, basically. Okay. This one is commensalist. I'll give you that. All right. Do you want to talk about an example that you hate? Metabiosis <laughs> that just in, annoys me because it's the same thing as inquilinism and a lot of it is symbiosis. But yeah, foresee is like um, like if you're a mite that catches a ride on a bee, you can go from miteville to mite town uh-huh. really quick. Right. Whereas otherwise you may <laughs> never go there in your lifetime as a mite because you can't make it that far. You, But as far as the bee's concerned, it's not... As long as you're not feeding on it like a parasite, uh-huh. the bee couldn't care less. It's not getting any benefit from it. It's not being harmed from it. But I'll bet the mite's still feeding on it, which makes it parasitism, not commensalism. All right. Okay. I was uh, going to make a judgment on whether or not I'm with you on this, mm-hmm. but then I decided I didn't care. <laughs> that was very right-minded <laughs> oh, of you. Okay, good. Um, there is one point that I think is is worth making, though, that commensalism can actually put an entire ecosystem under stress, especially if you take the example of that moth that feeds on uh, gopher tortoise keratin, right? Mm-hmm. If you take that moth and gopher tortoises suddenly die off, you're not just losing the gopher tortoise, you're also going to lose that moth species, too. True. They're going to die off, too, because they're fully dependent on gopher tortoise shells. They're going to have a bonanza at first, and then eventually they're going to run out of food. And that the more commensalism you have in an ecosystem, the shakier ground that ecosystem is built on. You want species, ideally, to to keep it as biodiverse as possible that can basically stand on their own, that aren't so fully interrelated that they can't exist without another species creating a home for them or um, providing food for them or something, or giving them rides from Miteville to Mite Town. But we should be good uh, since there are very, very few examples of true commensals, right? That's my, that's my take. All right. I'm glad we're good. Yeah, I'm glad we're good too, Chuck. Do you think we're out? I think we're out. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Listener.